Last week we went through um, looking at how we are to respond to the gospel, what the gospel is, what evangelism is, what it's not, and how we are to respond to that. We're to pray for opportunities, take opportunities, make opportunities uh, for the gospel. So, like I mentioned last week, I want to try to make this class as interactive as possible. So, I want to begin by asking this question. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? Okay, so let's start with that first. What, what's the mission of the church? There's a few different ways that we can define this according to the scripture, but let's throw out some that we, that we know for sure. Good, okay, to make disciples. So we're looking back at Matthew 28 that we talked about last week. Okay, very good. What else? Yeah, what's incorporated in that? Okay, and that's that kind of a follow-up question is, um, what are the means by which God fulfills that mission of making disciples? Good. Good. Yeah, excellent, right? So we go out, we proclaim the gospel, as Peter talked about last week, how before a person can learn to observe all that Jesus taught and commanded, the first thing that they have to do is repent and believe the gospel, which is the first thing that Jesus taught and commanded, okay? And so there are means by which God carries that out, right? Prayer, proclamation, okay? Bringing the gospel to a lost world. Now, many businesses list their goals as a mission statement to help them stay focused when making decisions, right? So that's kind of a priority. We have a mission statement that helps us to remember why we are what we are and to order our priorities to make sure that we keep those things where they need to be. So I want to give you a few mission statements here. Let's see how well you do at recognizing these mission statements. These are popular ones, so you can just throw out a guesses as you see fit. We create happiness by providing the finest in entertainment for all people of all ages everywhere. Disney. Disney, you got it. Very good. I figured if Forrest was here, he would uh, nail that one immediately. But good job. Okay. How about this one? To build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Amazon. Very good. Okay, we save people money so they can live better. You got it, man. Somebody's on a roll this morning. Somebody's been studying their mission statements. <laughs> okay. And then the last one here to make the world's information universally accessible and useful. Google it is. All right. Very good. <laughs> Say again. <laughs> All right. Good job, guys. Okay, here's, here's our mission statement, okay? To develop a community of maturing believers through active participation in corporate worship, comprehensive discipleship, genuine fellowship, and intentional evangelism, both locally and globally, okay? So we want this to be what keeps us focused as we do life together, as we minister for the Lord together, okay? So we see those four components as indispensable for what it truly means to bring glory to God and see his kingdom advance here on this earth, okay? So that's something that we always want to keep before us, is we're thinking about 
Um, what about this ministry? What about that ministry? How does it line up with what God has given us to do? Because there's tons of different things that you can get involved in, right? I mean, there's an endless list of things that you can get involved with. But if you don't have something to guide and direct you, you can just end up taking on a bunch of different things that may be good, but maybe not the best or the most, the most profitable, okay? So... Um, Hun, can you? Have you ever been telling her? Yeah. <laughs> All right, time out. She, she, she's a little sick today, so that's why she's hanging out with us. Okay, back to action. So um, the last part of our mission statement here is the reason for this class, right? Intentional evangelism, both locally and globally. So it's to help us to learn how to do that, to help us to keep our priorities in order as believers, okay? So as I mentioned last week, what we're going to be doing today is looking through the book of Acts. We'll look at the first part of it, and, but we're going to kind of take a tour through the whole book of Acts as well. So go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Okay, Acts chapter 1. And if it's a little warm in here, I apologize. It seems that our AC unit is down. There's nothing on the panel, so that's bad news. Would you like me to crack the door? Uh, yeah, you can if you want to. Well, if it's not, if it's not too noisy. We can turn this fan on too, actually. Good. Are you guys warm? You want a little circulation going? Yeah. Hey, Scott, you're, you're really tall. Can you reach that? If not, stand, you can stand on that chair. There you go. Why don't you give it one more pull so it's not like jet engine <laughs> yeah. sucking us up into the vortex. Okay, so Acts chapter 1, and let's go ahead and begin by reading verses 1 through 11. So if I can have somebody volunteer to read that for us, Acts chapter 1. I'll read it. Okay, thanks Lloyd. Right. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands, through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay. Thanks, Lloyd. Now, I want, to, I want you to look there at verse 1. And what should be exciting to us as we read that verse is that word began. Okay? What we see there, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what does that word began presuppose? What, say it again? It's not done, right? There's a continuation that's about to happen. Okay, so Luke writes his gospel, and then Acts is the follow-up from Luke's gospel about all that Jesus was going to continue to do and, and, and speak, okay? So the first point there on your outline is the continuation of the kingdom. The continuation of the kingdom. And that is what the whole book of Acts is really about. It's about the risen, ascended, reigning Lord Jesus continuing to work in the world through his Holy Spirit-empowered disciples and bringing the gospel to the nations, okay? That's what the book of Acts is all about. And what's interesting, you see how this book starts. Now, what's interesting is, let's see how it ends, okay? So, take a look here. Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. Paul is at Rome at this point, okay? He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, okay? So chapter 1, verse 1, you have Luke saying, what I wrote before was all that Jesus began to do and teach, and then the way the book of Acts closes is with Paul teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? But it doesn't have like a conclusion to it, right? It just states it, and then that's the end. It's not like any, you know, final words or anything like that, it's, you expect, okay, is there something that's still happening? And there is something that's still happening, okay? So Acts ends, but the proclamation of the gospel doesn't. Paul is at Rome teaching and preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book of Acts ends with Paul awaiting to make this appeal before Caesar. And as he is waiting, he is proclaiming the gospel. He's teaching the people about the Lord Jesus. So Jesus is continuing to bring his gospel to the world as the book of Acts ends. So like I mentioned, there's no closure in the book of Acts. It's left open. And what's implied there is that Jesus will continue working after that through his spirit-empowered disciples to bring the gospel to all the nations. And that's why we're sitting here this morning. Right? We are recipients of this gospel that began to spread some 2,000 years ago. 
And now, as recipients of this gospel, Christ calls us to go and proclaim it, right? Proclaim what you have received. That's what, the, what, that's what faithfulness looks like to God. You've received the gospel, now go proclaim it so that it continues to spread to all peoples. I want you to think about this reality. We are involved in the most important work in the history of the world. Nothing is more important than this, right? And when we grasp this, it really changes the way that we view life. It changes our worldview. It causes you to see, for example, that your job is not just a place that you go to collect a paycheck. God has you there for a reason. Your co-workers, for example, are eternal beings who will either join you in the endless praise of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, or they will know nothing but the infinite justice of God displayed through the pouring out of his wrath. That kind of changes your mindset when the alarm clock goes off on Monday morning, right? This is a different picture that you should have in your mind. It causes you, to keep with the job illustration here, to see that your co-workers are blind, having been taken captive by Satan to do his will, and that the only hope for them, just as the, the only hope for you, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And an understanding of this changes the way that you view work. It causes you to labor in prayer for your unsaved co-workers and to seek opportunities to bring the word of God to them. Now, that's just one example of how an understanding of what God has called us to do in proclaiming the gospel reorients your mind, reorients your worldview. And listen, you could apply that to every other arena of life that you're in. If you're in school, in your neighborhood, within your families, okay, you recognize that God has redeemed me and now is using me as a witness to those who are around me. So the work of Jesus is continuing, and the amazing reality of that is we are a part of that, both as recipients and as proclaimers of that same truth. Now, I do want to say something this morning, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time here about the reality of this continuing work that Jesus is doing through his people and the power of the Holy Spirit. As we talked last week about praying for, taking, and making opportunities that the Lord gives us, We must understand this very important principle that the success of those opportunities that the Lord gives us is not based on the results of those opportunities, but on our faithfulness to the gospel in those opportunities. Okay, let me say that again. The success of the opportunities that the Lord gives us is not based on the results of those opportunities but on our faithfulness to the gospel in those opportunities. Okay, so in other words, while we pray fervently that the Lord will cause the truth to penetrate the hearts of those that we are speaking with, we must not be discouraged if we don't see that immediate response or even if we don't, receive, we don't see any response at all. And we must not be discouraged either if we face hostile responses to the gospel. 
what we see here is the continuation of the work that Jesus is doing presupposes that there will be opposition to it now, just as there was opposition to it when he proclaimed it, right? And, and Jesus, when you look through the Gospels in particular, he didn't mean to be ambiguous with his disciples as to what was in store for them as they continued the work that he started. For example, I want you to look with me at John chapter 15. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, from John 13 through the end of the book, you really have about a 24-hour at most to a 36-hour period of time. I mean, you think about how that large chunk of John's Gospel really talks about about a day and a day and a half at the most. And what you see happening in Jesus' final words is his instructions to his disciples. Okay? And here's what he tells them, right? His, his parting words to his disciples. John 15, starting at verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep, also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, notice this important statement that he makes here at the beginning of verse 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Because in the disciples' mind, man, this is great. The kingdom of God has come. Let's go proclaim it. And Jesus is saying, you're going to face serious opposition. And when that opposition comes upon you, I've told you that it's going to happen to keep you from falling away so that you're not disillusioned about what it is that I'm calling you to do. Verse 2 says this, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And just sobering words that the Lord Jesus brings to his disciples to help them to see, here's what we're going into. Okay? This, is, this is a war that we're about to enter into. And, and that's one of the things that we want to see as we walk, especially as we're going to walk through the book of Acts, and you're just going to see a lot of this proclamation and persecution that is taking, taking place and how those go hand in hand. This is an exciting, joy-filled work that God has called us to. But it is a difficult work. And if you have any illusions 
that all is just going to be smooth on the highway of gospel proclamation, you're going to be disillusioned and discouraged very quickly and pull your car over, so to speak, fast. But if you understand, this is what the Lord has called us to. You have an understanding that people are blind. They hate God by nature. But it's the power of the gospel that penetrates the heart and makes it new and turns them from haters of God to lovers of God, which the book of Acts so clearly displays in the conversion of Saul to Paul. One of the things that's vital for us to recognize is this. We're in a war. And as soldiers of Christ in this war, we expect opposition. We don't try to bring on opposition, but just live for Christ, as Paul said to Timothy. If you desire to live godly, you'll face persecution, right? And to one degree or another. Jesus was really seeking to clear up here for his disciples right at the beginning here of their ministry and the continuation of his ministry through them. You're going to face much opposition as you go out to proclaim the kingdom of God, as you go out to proclaim the gospel. The gospel will advance in the midst of opposition, not apart from it. And so the continuation of the gospel and persecution for the gospel will go hand in hand. In fact, I want to just take a fairly quick tour through the book of Acts and see what happens as Jesus continues working through his disciples. Okay, so keep your fingers ready there in the book of, the book of Acts. And I want to walk through um, some passages here that speak to that end. So look with me first at Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes down, the gospel starts going out, they're speaking the gospel in all the different languages. You have the undoing of the Tower of Babel, really, here, where everybody was confused of what was being said, and now you have the gospel being come, in, come back in, and the Holy Spirit empowers people to preach it and proclaim it uh, to those who are around. Okay, So look with me at Acts chapter 2, verse 13. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Verse 13, okay? After this happens, okay, the Spirit comes down. Notice one of the first things, verse 13. But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine, okay? So you see, the outpouring of the Spirit immediately brings mocking from the people. Now go to chapter 4. And look at verses 1 through 4 here. The subtitles are really helpful if you have a Bible with subtitles, Peter and John before the council. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So here you have persecution, right? They're being, those that they're speaking or they're proclaiming the gospel, people are getting annoyed by that, okay? Maybe you've had that happen, right? As you're speaking, people are getting annoyed by that. They take it to the next level. They arrest them. So you have that persecution. But notice what happens with it in verse 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. So you have persecution and proclamation going hand in hand through this. Look with me at verses 15 through 17 here. 
But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Okay? So here's, we have mocking, we have people being arrested, we have warnings being given. Okay? Just shut your mouth. And listen, that's what the enemy wants us to do. Just live your Christian life and don't say anything. That's not the way the gospel spreads. Certainly, our lives should display the reality and the power of the gospel. But our mouths must proclaim it and make it known. For people must hear in order to believe. Look at verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were all praising God for what had happened. Okay? So they warn them, and then they further threaten them on top of it. Okay? So you get, this, you get this thrust right at the beginning here. And it sounds a lot like what they were doing to Jesus. Right? Okay? These things are, are happening here. Look with me at chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. The gospel continues to go out. Awesome things are happening. But the high priest rose up, verse 17... And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Okay? So here you have it again. More people are being locked up. Gospel's continuing to go forth. Look with me at verses 27 and 28 here. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter basically responds and says, we didn't intend to do that. You did that. (laughs) Right? This is what you've done. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. You think back to what Jesus said. Here's how strengthening that would be. Okay, well, hold on. Remember, Jesus said this was going to happen. They're going to be putting us out of the synagogues. They think whoever kills us is doing service to God. Man, those words would have been like just an anchor for their souls in the midst of this persecution that they were, that they were facing. And then look with me at verses 40 and 42 here in Acts 5. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Persecution was not slowing these guys down one bit. Why? Because they understood what Jesus had told them. This is what's going to happen. right? And so we, we arm ourselves with that mentality. So when we're at work or we're talking to somebody and you're so narrow-minded and so on and so forth. You don't respond in anger. You, you stay calm by the power of the Spirit. And you say, this is expected. This is, light is penetrating darkness right now, right? And so you recognize that. That's what enables you from becoming defensive. And I can't believe this. They're trying to take away my rights at work for you know, talking to people about Jesus. And like, this is understood, right? You just read the book of Acts. Like, oh, man, people are getting locked up, persecuted, mocked. 
All this is happening, right? We get all like fired up. I can't believe that person said that to me when I tried to share the gospel with them. It's like we just read the word and we can get our hearts grounded in the reality of what we can expect. And it keeps us prayerful and dependent upon God and not surprised. As Peter said, don't think it strange when this fiery trial comes upon you to test you in 1 Peter 4.12. Okay? Look with chapter 6. Verses 7 through 15. Somebody jump in here and help me read. Chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. Robert? Okay. 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 Sorry. We'll, we'll go ahead. There's going to be plenty more opportunities to read, so I'll give Robert the next one. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, I want you to notice they're very important, verse 7. I know it's kind of a break in the subtitles there. But here's the gospel continuing to go forth. Disciples are multiplying. Man, things are happening as the gospel goes forth. Is that going to meet opposition? Absolutely. Every time, right? Keep reading. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, sorry, Cyrenians, yep, and all the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that, this, that his face was like the face of an angel. Okay, good. So here it is. Gospel is going forth. Much opposition is coming upon Stephen is faithfully proclaiming the word of God. They're stirring people up in opposition to him. Sounds a lot like the trial of Jesus. False witnesses being brought in. All these things are taking place as the gospel goes forth. And then in chapter 7, if you've never read that before, we're not going to read it right now, but I would encourage you to do so. I mean, Stephen just gives this massive, redemptive, historical look. I mean, it just starts back at the beginning and just walks. Here's how we have responded as a nation to the Word of God. You stiff-necked and stubborn people. I mean, just, just lays it out, right? Just lays it right before him. It's such a beautiful look. Man, to know your Bible that well, right? Just get up and just start and keep going. Walk right, walk right through and then apply it to the situation in which you're in. And here's what happens. Robert, I'll give you an opportunity to read this. Uh, verse, starting at verse 54, read through verse 60. Here's the, the conclusion here of what happened after Stephen gives this indictment of the rebellion of Israel as a nation against the Lord. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Okay, good. So another character is introduced here into this story. If you picked up on that right at the end. They laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Right? That guy's not going to receive the gospel. Did you see him at Stephen's stoning? Right? Yeah, you have that mindset of anybody? Right? But that person is as hard as a rock. Listen, God breaks through whenever he desires. He turns that heart of stone into a heart of flesh like that. With the power of the gospel. That's what happens. Right? So don't be discouraged as you're talking with friends, coworkers, family members, whatever the case may be. Man, they're just as hard as they can possibly be. They're not hard enough for the gospel of grace to shatter it in a moment. That's the power of it. We're all testimonies to it to some degree or another, right? Here we are. Our hearts of stone have been shattered, right? Now think about yourself before you became a Christian, right? It's not like, yeah, that, you know, in 10 years, that guy's going to be a pastor in a church. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You know, I'm just like, I'm living my life over here and doing this, this thing. And God just says, nope, you're mine, and here's what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> right? that's, the power, that's the power of the gospel. Okay, man, I've got so much more out of the book of Acts here, but I'm not going to have time to go through it right now. I'll see how I can get this, get this to you. Let me, let me finish up this section here. If we have time, we're going to come back to the book of Acts because it's so meaty. So you can just see through that aspect of it where there is proclamation, there is almost always persecution at some level from simply mocking those who proclaim it to killing those who proclaim it, okay? So, so we recognize that going in, right? This is a war. This is what I can expect as I go into this war, as I sit down and I try to speak with people about the Lord. Now, one of the things that we want to make sure we recognize as we've looked briefly at the book of Acts, and this is equally vital for us as well, is that they weren't, and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? As you look at this, you see a lot of human opposition to this. But we recognize from the rest of Scripture, something's going on behind this, right? There's something happening behind that opposition to the gospel. As Paul said in Ephesians 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the rulers, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And in order for them to succeed and in order for us to succeed in this spiritual war, we must be completely reliant upon the Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus says what he does as it's recorded in Acts 1, verses 4 through 5, and then also verse 8. If somebody can read that for us. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, and then we'll go to verse 8 here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, thanks, Pete. So Jesus orders them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
right? But to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And listen, that should be a great reminder and comfort to us as well as it was to them that the advancement of this kingdom is not going to happen by human means. It won't be according to the flesh, right? It's not going to happen that way. It'll happen as the Spirit of God empowers his people to work for his glory. And we see here not only the continuation of the kingdom, but also the power that will enable the continuation of that kingdom, right? So we recognize that the kingdom is going to continue, but how is it going to continue? It's going to continue in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us in bringing the gospel to others. And like I said, this should be a great comfort to us. You know, as you think about the, the Christian church, by the world standards, we're not the elite of society, right? That's probably an understatement. We're not, we're not these powerful people on our own who can persuade others. The same as the original disciples, right? They were, for the most part, as was testified of them in Acts chapter 4, uneducated common people by the world's standards. And listen, that's the way God designed it, right? God does it this way so that he will be glorified alone when the work of advancing his kingdom is accomplished. We see that in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Not a great statement. And then listen to Paul's testimony right after that. Somebody go ahead and read this for us. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and my trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen. What a great statement. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Right? So that's, that's the power of the gospel. We can all testify to that reality, that it wasn't the mere human words that overwhelmed us when the gospel came to us. Right? It was the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit by a weak fragile person so that our faith doesn't rest in men's ability to persuade but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that, God has deemed right his people that they would be the means through which he redeems his elect, which is the last point on your outline there, the workers of the kingdom. Okay, You have the continuation of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, the workers of the kingdom. When you look back there at Acts chapter 1, Verses 9 through 11, you have Jesus ascending into heaven, and then the angels confronting the men. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here? Think about the reality of that. Okay, Jesus just commissioned them. This is what you guys are going to do. And they're standing there gazing up into heaven. I can't blame them. I probably would have been doing the same thing. Right? There goes our Lord. Wait a minute. No! I want to go. Right? Take me. But here's what the angels were trying to convey to them. You have been commissioned. 
You've just been commissioned. Why are you standing here? Go and do what the Lord has called you to do. Go wait for the Spirit and then listen to this. God is going to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit to change the world. And that's where it began, right? That's where it began. This breaking out of the gospel. And the implication here for us, I think, is clear. We're still part of that same timeline. We're still waiting, as the angel said, the way that you saw him go up is the way that you'll see him come down. He hasn't come down yet, despite many people who predicted that he would come down. He will come down at some point. We just don't know when. And so the implication is clear for us is here. We still have work to do in advancing the kingdom of God. We are his witnesses to the end of the earth until he returns from heaven in the same manner in which those men saw him go up. We have a task, right? We have a mission. We're in a long line of God's elect who have been redeemed and he's still redeeming. So I just want to be encouraged by that and motivated that Jesus is still working and he's working through his spirit-empowered disciples to bring the gospel to the nations, to bring light into this present darkness. And so that should encourage us, right? As we think about the reality of, man, I, I'm here, I have purpose in advancing the kingdom of God and growing as his disciple and in proclaiming his gospel that others too might become disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so I'm going to end with that today because we're, we're out of time. I don't have time to go back through the book of Acts, but I'll try to put together something for you guys so that you can look at just all the different places where it talks about persecution and proclamation going, going hand in hand. Okay? All right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and close out. Well, Father, we do thank you for this time that we've been able to spend together. Lord, thank you for your word that instructs us and guides us and directs us. Lord, thank you that we are both recipients of the gospel. Lord, we, we are those that you ordained before the foundation of the world that as the gospel came to us, we would believe it. Thank you for that unspeakable good news that we have been given. And Father, we pray also that you would help us as we have been recipients of that gospel to be proclaimers of it, that we would make it known. Lord, make us fervent in our prayers for those that are around us and for those, Lord, that we don't even know that we would come across on a daily basis. Give us opportunities to make the gospel known. Help us to be diligent in making opportunities to make the gospel known. And we thank you for that, Father. Help us to be dependent upon you, recognizing that it's only through the power of your spirit that this work will continue. So make us reliant day by day, moment by moment, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you.